You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. It's good to be here, and it's good to be in this series. Um, 2 Corinthians, the more and more I study this book, this letter, which is actually Paul's third letter to the Corinthian church from what we can gather. We've lost the middle letter, which, like I said, is a good thing because it's probably so harsh, I don't know if I want to read it, okay? And, um, but to be able to um, be in this and journeying through this book, there's just so much depth and breadth and uh, in, in, in Paul's experience and how he is probably more open, more vulnerable, more, um, more exposed. Um, today we're going to see some of that in terms of his motivations, why he's doing what he's doing. You really know why people do what they do when they are under stress, pressure, or difficulty. Why people do what they do when they are facing obstacles in the way. You know, if it's about convenience or if it's about being applauded and, and lauded or paid <laughs> in one form or another, if, um, when the rewards are all taken away, when every perk is gone, that's when you see why. And we're kind of getting at that today. Um, We've learned so far about vulnerability that, first of all, everybody wants to see it in someone else so they can be approachable and open, but nobody wants to show it in themselves. Have you ever noticed that? You want to be on your guard, but you want people to drop their guard. We've also learned um, in the first week of this study, we talked about the difference between trying to find a comfortable life and being comforted in an open life where you are open to others, serving and giving, and then God comforts us even in the midst of our trials. Uh, Last week, we looked at this word confidence, papoithesis, which is the Greek word for it, and we found that one, Paul talks about confidence, and he does have it, but it's not in himself and his abilities. He finds his confidence and his trust in Christ and his completeness in Christ and how you can be open. And open is probably the best term for what vulnerability really means. It's not about weakness. It's not about just exposing your flaws. It's not about like, okay, I'm going to let everybody see and feel ashamed about myself. That's not what it's about. It's really about openness And if you aren't open, you really can't have friendship. You can't have family. You can't have community. So I don't think there is an English translation of this letter that uses the word vulnerable or vulnerability, and yet it runs through this letter. So today we're actually in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. That is going to be a key phrase, it'll come up twice to lose heart in this whole uh, chapter. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. 
For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to the death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what was has been written, I believe, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So, we do not lose heart, comes up again. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And I kind of highlighted that one word. It's the Greek word enkakeo. Okay, there you get to see it. Okay. And um, it means to faint or become weary or to lose heart. To lose heart. You lose heart. You've probably seen people do that. I think it's filling our society right now. A lot of people have just lost heart. They just lost it. Um, it's kind of to give up, to give in, to just, eh, I'm done. Do you know people who've done that? Yeah. But it also can, I think, lose heart, and you find this in this passage, is to harden up, to put up your armor, to uh, try to act powerful, to keep people away, to become cynical. We've got a lot of that going on, too. So to give up or to harden up, and Paul says, no, I want you to open up. Okay, I could stop there. <laughs> you know me. We're going to explore this, and I think uh, the best understanding is that Paul is calling us, Christians are to live wholeheartedly, the whole heart in almost anything that we do, and we can do that. So we're going to look at what it means in this passage to lose heart, how to live wholeheartedly, and where do you get the power to do that? Because time and again, once you get kicked down or disappointed or hurt, man, it's really hard to open up again, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to talk through this, and I think I'm hoping it's a very practical but also encouraging message for us all. We can all use that. So, losing heart. You know, there are so many reasons why we might. Uh, can you think of any? Why people lose heart today? Anybody got one? Looking at the world around us. Just turn on the news. Look at social media. That's another one. Anything else? People, inflation, anything else? Debt. Debt. Death. Okay. Debt, death. <laughs> I think um, we have now also, um, this isn't in my sermon or my, what I wrote, so, but um, we have 
minimized our horizon to just what is happening in front of us now. There is no long-term perspective. I have noticed a lot of people haven't figured out. You can ask uh, purpose and meaning questions these days. And I don't know if you'll find too many people who understand what their purpose is or their meaning to life is anymore. And um, college students, there's been a huge shift. Um, different studies have shown, specifically the UCLA Higher Education Research Institute has shown that from the 60s to the present, there's been a shift from the purpose of college was to, at least one of the main purposes, to find a, a deeper philosophy of life. Today, do you know what the purpose of college is? Make money. Nobody's going, they've given up, they've lost heart at trying to figure that out. Okay? So people have, um, are tired these days, depressed, disconnected, angry, fearful, cynical, mistrustful, right? We've gone through the trauma of pandemic and politics and violence. And I think a lot of us are just tired. And how many of you don't also, I'm reading another book right now, and it, um, Hartmut Rosa, um, he's a philosopher from, um, from the continent, but he talks about how uh, depression is actually time sickness. It's like, ugh, things are just moving too fast and I can't keep up. Have you ever, how many of you right now feel like things are just moving too fast and I can't keep up? You don't. Okay, good for you because I'm there. And it's going to really hit this week, right? First full week of college. Um, but people deliberately these days, too, now, we've got entrepreneurs of conflict. Do you know what I mean by that? That is, uh, they, they gin it up to make money. Fear is big business. Deliberately leveraging our group fears and outrage. Now, Paul lived in a time that was very similar. And I, we can't go into that. That could be a probably, somebody could write a thesis in the first century, in the 21st century, to show some of those things. But um, let me tell you, there was a lot of political cynicism. They saw how Caesars and the Roman Senate and all that stuff and all the infighting and everything, there were also a lot of conspiracy theories about the Parthians and the Scythians and all these other groups that might come in and attack at any time. There were all sorts of rumors, and there was all sorts of uh, religious um, out, uh, just religious conflict as well going on. And in the middle of all that, the church at Corinth was placed kind of in between east and west on this isthmus between um, Asia on the one side and the rest of the Roman world on the other. And ships would come in one side and go out the other side. Uh, the land bridge, the, it, it became the big trade route. And so they got it from every direction, every different group, everything going on. It was just this really pluralistic society, and it was a tough place to be. And so in the middle of all this, Paul says, there are some things I'm not going to do. And I'm calling you not to do them either. You can lose heart in one way or another, 
But I'm telling you, these are things don't do them. It just isn't good. And, and it just shows that you've lost heart in what this faith is about. So first of all, it's using underhanded ways. It's kind of a way to un- harden up. He uses this phrase. He says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We renounce disgraceful, underhanded ways. We don't practice cutting or tamper with God's word. Rather, by the open statement of truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. What are some underhanded ways? Well, later on in this uh, book, if you, uh, we get to the uh, super apostles in like uh, 10, 11, and 12, those chapters, you'll see that they basically flattered their you know, audience, built them up. Now, it's not a bad thing. I, have, I hope I'm going to be encouraging to you all today. But as far as flattering the audience, it's like schmoozing. You know, oh, you are so great. You are so well. One of the ways I think Christian churches today I've seen do it is like those people out there are so evil and terrible. And aren't we so much better in here? Have you heard anybody like that? Yes. Okay, yeah. Hopefully not me. Um, you vilify the outside, and what you do is you end up making people feel self-righteous on the inside of your group. And just another way of saying that is you're appealing to the sinful human nature of individuals rather than the new creation God has made them. And Paul says, no way, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. We're not just going to talk big or look slick or speak of victory, power, and success and appeal to your greed or your desire um, to be powerful. We're not going to be entrepreneurs of conflict. We're not going to be entrepreneurs of fear or greed. We're not going to try to butter you up to get stuff from you. Here's one of the truths um, in a book called High Conflict that was recently written. The author says, You always have to ask the question, who benefits from this conflict continuing? Okay, Who's making money off of this? Or who's getting more powerful because of this? Who's gaining power through it? Paul saw these super apostles who came into Corinth, slick, wonderful-looking, victory-speaking, and charging fees for what they were doing, They were gaining, they were using the Corinthians to gain power and wealth and influence. And he says, we're not going to do that. That's a way to lose heart. Because you really don't believe the message of the gospel anymore. What you're believing is your own own abilities your own subtext message. You're really using the gospel for the sake of something else. Now, that's been happening as well. And it's some, a warning to me, to us, to any Christian, that's not the way to go. Paul says instead in the book of Romans, his kind of theme verse for this book, Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. The power of the gospel is what the message of Christianity is all about. 
to lose heart is saying, well, you know, maybe the gospel's not enough. I better have a slick presentation instead. That's what's going to actually do it. Or the gospel's not enough. I need to uh, gin up the fear. I've got to try to arm people up for Armageddon. You know, I've got to have people want to, you know, they, they're scared to death, and then I'm, I'm drawing a flock in. But the gospel of God's free grace in Jesus Christ is the power of God to change lives. And it does. Don't lose heart to use underhanded ways rather than the gospel. Another is, um, so that's kind of hardening up. The other, I think, is giving up and despairing over difficulties. Um, In other words, when tough times come, you just drop out. You give up. Paul said in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 9, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And he kind of infers that when people get afflicted, often what happens is they just go like, oh, that's it. I'm walking out. I'm getting out. I'm staying out. I'm drugging out. I'm zoning out. I'm dropping out. You, You name it, numbing out. We do it. I get it. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to keep plugging away when it feels like you're not getting anywhere. You know, um, campus ministry is not for the faint of heart. (laughs) Actually, Christian ministry of any type anymore is not for the faint of heart. I really feel right now for LaFon Laurent He is um, our field director for Mission Haiti. And he pulled his family, his children, out of Haiti right now because the violence is so bad, the gang war. You name it, it's all just happening. Inflation, we're complaining about inflation here. Try $10 a gallon for gas where there's 80% unemployment and the average person makes like $2 a day. How does that work, right? That's what's going on. And I can just see he, it is so hard not to lose heart and not to realize God still has a plan for Lafon and for the mission work he's doing in these places. It's so easy to just say, okay, well, you know what? I'm just going to take care of myself. I'm going to stop. I'm going to just withdraw. Paul could have done that a hundred times over. And like I said at the beginning, Corinth would be one of those churches that you just say, you know what? I tried. didn't quite work. Let's move on to Uh, more fertile ground, you know, stop planting there. But instead, Paul says, when we are persecuted, when we are afflicted, when we are facing these things, that's when you really see what's going on because the grace of God comes through. All those other things, all those other motivations are, you know, kind of stripped away and you get to see, no, this person really, it is the gospel. That's the only thing he's got going for him to keep going. So losing heart, it's kind of letting setbacks in your life not only set you back, but just stop you dead in your tracks. I'm done. Thirdly, or C, I'm sorry, I'm on. It's focusing on the visible rather than the eternal. 
is a way that we lose heart. And I kind of talked about that. Our, our horizon has shrunk to just what it, I can touch, taste, see, feel, plan, decide, whatever's happening right in front of me. We are no longer a society that sees an eternal purpose or direction to anything. Everything is just right here, right now. And if I can't get it right now, I don't know if it's ever going to be. And so when I have that kind of focus, kind of that survival mentality, it's easy to lose heart. Paul says instead, in 2 Corinthians 18b, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You focus on just the transient things, they change, and then you get upset when they change. But when you focus on the eternal, unseen things, the things that God will never change, it can actually give you a reason to be wholehearted. Now, don't you see our culture has kind of lost heart in these three ways, right? Some have given up, some have hardened up, and others are just like, I'm just hunkering down and looking right in front of me. So, Paul says, that's not us, even in a difficult time like this. He calls us to live wholeheartedly open. And how do you do that? So here are some of the phrases. Um, there are like four different passages here from this letter that he's speaking directly to this. He says, by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Then he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. And then he says, it is all for your sake. Notice his motivation. He, has, he doesn't get anything out of this. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. For this light momentary affliction, then he says. Notice how he puts, isn't that interesting? This light momentary affliction. Usually I don't think it's light, and I don't think it's momentary. I think it's going to last forever. And then that it's preparing an eternal weight of glory, totally opposite. So, first of all, I think Paul would call us to be open to speak truth. One of um, the books I've read on leadership by Robert Quinn um, is called Deep Change. And uh, you don't need to put up this quote because it just doesn't quite talk to it as well. But Robert Quinn in the book says, basically, any organization, when it needs to go through a change to be transformed, will not happen so long as the leader, whoever the leader is in whatever position they're in, you don't have to be on the top of the organization to be the leader. But if the leader thinks, you know, it's not worth risking anything, I'm just going to kind of take care of myself, it'll never change. You can tell other people to make the change, but if you're not willing to do it, and if you're not willing to risk, and um, one of the things that leaders have to do, Robert Quinn would say, is to speak truth when truth is not conveniently heard in that organization. Speak truth to a uh, corporation that might fire you when you speak the truth, but you need to still do that. It's tough, right? It's tough. It's like a politician that wants to speak the truth regardless even though they may lose and not be a, uh, in a political office anymore. That is a rarity to find anybody doing that, right? 
So, have you ever felt like you couldn't quite say the truth? Would have been much more convenient for Paul to just schmooze the Corinthians, built them out of some money just like the other super apostles that came through. But he speaks to them truthfully. He speaks to them openly. And truth is not uh, a sledgehammer that he uh, wheels like in kind of power and authority. Truth becomes one where he shows his own vulnerability. And then I think this also is about another way of saying uh, living wholeheartedly is being open to be ordinary. Open to be ordinary. He says, we are... Do you remember that phrase, jars of clay? Yeah. Doesn't sound exciting, does it? It's not like, wow, jars of clay. Yeah, We're not jars of, you know, I don't know, gold, marble. I'm not a jar of diamonds and rubies. I'm a clay pot. Maybe you might want to say I'm a cracked pot. And uh, I think there's some real truth to that. Ray Steadman, who is a pastor out, I think he's retired now in the Bay Area of California, he wrote, Paul is saying here, God's purpose in your life and mine is that we so live that people are actually baffled when they look at us. They say, I don't get it. I know this person. He, she is so ordinary. There's nothing outstanding there, but yet what happens as though they, through life is so remarkable, I just don't understand it. Why is it that they still are giving? Why are they still open? Why are they doing these things? This makes no sense. What's to their advantage? The only way we're going to break through the cynicism of our age is to live sacrificially for their sake and not for your own. And it shows up especially when you're going through tough times. And you still give. And you still serve. And you still love. Or, you know, or you still teach when there are all the perks have been taken away from teaching, right? It's not that bad, Hugo. Yeah, we know how exhausting it can be. So you're open to just being ordinary and being used by God in extraordinary ways because his glory is seen. And then open to the future. And we saw that here when we focus on the eternal, the unseen, rather than the transient visible. Wolfhart Pannenberg, a theologian philosopher, wrote that only one who is certain of the future can relax and turn to today's business. In other words, um, if you focus on, if you don't have an eternal focus of, look, I know where I'm going. I know who is going to be there. I know what Jesus says of me. I know what God has done for me. And so all this stuff, no matter what comes up, is not going to get in the way of that because of God's promises and who he is. Then I can actually get involved in everyday stuff. But if not, then all the stakes are in today. Wow. I'm going to have to live for myself. So Paul says it this way, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Don't lose heart, he says. So now the question is, how in the world do we live wholeheartedly? Where do you get the power to do this? You know, as I mentioned, you have to ask the question, whenever you see a situation, who's benefiting from this going in this direction? When somebody's preaching a message or somebody is proposing a plan or somebody is advancing a cause, especially when there's fears and conflicts and stuff, who's benefiting from it to go this way? And I think Paul vulnerably opens up himself to the Corinthians. I mean, what benefit was it for him to be involved in that church, to come back again and again to people who didn't like him, who thought he was weak, who complained that, well, he wasn't that impressive. We've got other people who are much more impressive. What benefit was it for him to go through shipwrecks or imprisonments or starvation? How did it benefit him for being stoned with actual stones? What was he getting out of it? You know, he never even charged any time for his, He didn't, like, give the Corinthians, okay, here's my bill for the services I have rendered to you. He made tents. How could he do that? Because he saw a savior. He saw a savior who did the same, even more. So 2 Corinthians 4, 6, he writes, For God who said, let light shine of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We see in Jesus Christ our purpose, our destiny, our direction. He is the future that we have. Jesus did not give up on us even when we've given up on him. He never lost his openness to you, even though you might have lost heart. No matter how many times you've just said, you know, I'm tired, I'm done. Jesus has never said, you know what, I'm done with you. And to paraphrase how Paul talks about it in this passage, Jesus not only was afflicted, he also was crushed on the cross. He not only faced the perplexity of why this was happening, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was driven to that despair. He was persecuted and he was forsaken. He was struck down and actually he was destroyed. He didn't just swoon at the cross. He wasn't just going... You know, I know it's going to get over in a few minutes. He faced death with the capital D in such a way, he didn't lose a bit. He lost everything. And he was raised on the third day to show that God would never forsake you. A lot of you, it would be easy to simply enjoy retirement enjoy Southwest Florida lifestyle, not get involved in a church plant, that's for sure. There are a lot of other places to go that would be much easier to be a member of a church, you know, where you can just kind of go in, be one of, you know, a thousand on a Sunday morning, and then leave, get a nice little pep talk, boom, done. 
It'd be much easier to kind of keep your resources to yourselves, especially in times of inflation. It'd be easier not to open yourself up to neighbors and coworkers and new people and try new things again and again and again to say, maybe this time we can reach somebody more with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It would be easier simply to enjoy life or live the comfortable life. And for students, it would be easier to go with the flow to just kind of learn what you have to in order to get by, to get the grade you want, to get the job you want, to make money someday. It'd be easier not to worry about anything greater, deeper purposes in life. It'd be much easier not to attend worship for all of us, right? And for those working every day, it'd be easier to just stop giving so much care and love to people around you because you're just tired. It's like, again, these students, they're not even paying attention. Or, you know, my customers sometimes, they just... You are living wholeheartedly. You're here. And I think you realize it's the only way to live. It won't be easier. But man, Jesus Christ is coming alongside of you. You're on a mission with him every day. Pastors don't have a corner on that, okay? Just because we might be in this position you are on mission with Jesus every day, and he opens up new possibilities every day. We might get down, but we're not out. We might have lost, but we're never a loser in his eyes. You might fail, but you're not a failure. You might know, not know a lot, but you are fully known by your God. You might not always win, but you are still victorious in Christ. You might not succeed according to the world's standards, but your future is secure. You might be hurting, but you're never alone. You might face trials, but you know the verdict has been already spoken, not guilty. You might face temptations, but those don't define you. You are defined by Jesus Christ who went through temptation for you. You can dare living, risky, giving, open lives wholeheartedly because of Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this day. This, um, yeah, you see how it's easy for us to give up or to harden up or to just hunker down and look just to the immediate needs. But you've called us, Lord Jesus, by the way that you lived, fully open, absolutely vulnerable, Jesus Christ, and fully giving of yourself to no benefit um, but us, Lord. And we're just amazed at that. Help us, Lord, to engage a culture in a time that is filled with cynicism and power plays, Lord, that we engage in such a way that people are amazed at just how, um, how we just continue to love and to give and to be willing, Lord, because of who you are. Let them see you. Let them see your goodness and grace through us. Help us to speak truth, to have that courage to live um, authentically for you. We lift up this day um, our, our dear friend and member and brother in Christ, Bob Beverly, 
and Joan, you know now that as Tampa General has talked to them about the transplant and that it's not going to happen at this time, Lord, that we just pray that you open up the right opportunity and the right door for them. Bless them, Lord. Help them to continue to live openly uh, for you as they have for many, many years. Lord, we lift up to you um, our campus ministry. And you know this week, uh, well, it's kind of the kickoff. And we're praying, Lord, that you help us to be open to many more and that they openly receive your goodness and grace and that you have a movement of your spirit on the campus of FGCU this year in such a way that we're all astounded. And we know it's not us. We're just the uh, clay pots. But your glory is being seen in a variety of ways. We lift up, O oh Lord, our um, outreach efforts. Um, thank you, Lord, for um, all those who give so freely and generously, Lord, uh, in this ministry, for the food drives that we have had, Lord, and how in such ordinary ways you can do extraordinary things through us. We ask, Lord, that you would, um, well, that you would move us, Lord, to live holy for you. Forgive us, Lord, how we have hardened our hearts to your word at times, how we have turned in on ourselves and walked away from you. Forgive us for losing heart. Renew us and lead us. We know, Lord, uh, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we just lay all of these things before you now, confident that you are going to keep every one of your promises. And as we prepare uh, to uh, give freely of ourselves in uh, the offering, and as we prepare to uh, receive, Lord Jesus, this uh, as you say, uh, with the bread and wine, your body and blood, Lord, we just pray that you would um, fill our hearts, lift them up, encourage us, Lord, and just renew us by your Holy Spirit. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>